As we get started, I want to apologize for the sound quality of this episode. For some reason, it was all over the place, and hopefully we'll be able to get that corrected for the next time. Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. Today, I have my dad, Mike, with me, and we're going to talk about national service. Say hello. Hey, hello. <laughs> so this was sparked, this idea was sparked by Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's a Democratic um, candidate for president among the 20 or 30, however many there are now. 500. Um, <clears throat> so I don't really know much more about him other than he speaks like seven languages. Uh, but the one thing that I did see was a clip of him talking about national service. And this is not a popular opinion among everyone. Uh, but it's something that I've been begging for in my private life for years and years as I've been saying, you know, how great would it be if we had something that was similar to some European countries where, um, and as he says, not necessarily mandatory for us, but in other countries, they have mandatory two-year military service. Um, I know in Germany when I was there, they did, and in many of those other European countries. And <clears throat> I think it would really be beneficial for young people to get out, learn a skill, learn how to manage their money, be independent. I mean, it just really provides a lot of different um, helping hands for young people. And I have my dad here today because he had also some experience with the Job Corps, which I'll bring up here in a little bit. But what I was just thinking was, wouldn't it be great if, you know, people had, young people um, coming out of high school had opportunities to either go into the military or do some other kind of job training or community service or whatnot. So I'm going to play the clip here. It's maybe a minute long. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for playing it. This is from MSNBC, but it's been all over the internet about um, Pete Buttigieg and his ideas about service. So right here, I'm going to insert what he actually said, me speaking it, instead of playing the video, just in case, because I don't want to get any kind of fines. So Pete Buttigieg basically said he was thankful for his service in, in Afghanistan, as they had almost nothing in common, different politics, different generation, different religion, and different culture, and you have to learn to trust one another with your life, and he wants all Americans to be able to have that experience without having to go to war. So he wants national service to become a theme of the 2020 election. He brings up the social, the threat of social cohesion characterized by this presidency and of this era. And he believes the one way to change that is perhaps not making it necessarily legally obligatory, was his words, uh, but a social norm to do that kind of thing. And we continue our conversation after... Uh, Dad has listened to that. So after you've heard about that, have you heard? Have you seen that clip before? No. So what are your initial impressions of that comment? Um, I like the idea. He yeah. wasn't. He wasn't super specific, but yeah, it has its merits. And he was also saying, you know, he doesn't want this to be like the draft. It's not supposed to be a requirement, uh, but something that maybe is incentivized. So my conception of it is always part of a bigger situation. So a lot of the things I was <clears throat> suggesting would be like 
Red Cross or Habitat for Humanity or um, Big Brother Big Sister program, um, even the Volunteer Firefighter Department. A lot of those right now are volunteer programs. <clears throat> and if we could find a way to fund one to two years of some kind of service, regardless of what it is, if you have a physical limitation or even an intellectual disability, there's always something you can do. There's administration things, there's mentoring, there's just, there's always a place for someone to do something. And if we could just get everyone to buy in, it's not only, and, and again, it would have to be paid, some kind of paid internship situation or something. Um, and even if it was a harder skill or one that more people didn't want to do, like the military, um, if it was a civilian job, maybe we could have some kind of civilian equivalent of the GI benefit, uh, GI Bill benefit, where they get an education credit for that, or they get a certain amount of um, college hours for that, that count towards a degree, or um, that particular job, like you were saying, and I don't know that much about the Job Corps, which is why I want to talk to you about it, was that it provides a skill. It's basically a paid training to learn a skill that you can use to do something for as a career. Well, semi-paid. When I was there, it was in the mid-70s. Um, <clears throat> I took training to be a diesel mechanic, just as an example, and a truck driver. And you were housed, meals, everything provided, mm -hmm. and then they put money away for you when you... Uh, quote unquote graduated I guess mm. it was only like $50 a month or something but if you stayed you could stay up to two years so you would get like $1,200 when you walked out the door and again that was in the 70s so that was <laughs> a pretty good amount of money for them yeah and in the meantime you've got free room and board absolutely and you're getting training yes so I would love to see a little bit of a stipend in there included just so you know I know some call or some high schools now are having kind of the adulting classes as it were well also the local unions for the different trades there was a carpentry trade there oh yeah there was cooking there was i believe painting uh, as i said diesel mechanics truck driving heavy equipment operation all the associated unions for those trades were part of that oh that's awesome package they they sponsored as such and helped you get jobs when you were done that'd be great yeah so exactly that, that that could happen as well Absolutely. I mean, trade schools, you know, there's been a lot of talk about colleges and college education and blah, 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 but we need people doing trades or we wouldn't be able to get by as a society. We need electricians. We need plumbers. We need truck drivers, you know, and mechanics. And uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that would be amazing if we could do that. And then if we can also do things that kind of more of what Pete was alluding to, which is that community cohesion thing. What can we do to get communities not only to give up opportunities for young people to be able to do those kind of things, and particularly in uh, communities that have a lot of poverty or don't have a lot of opportunities for young people, uh, but if we can get them to do a buy-in for their community and have more of that cohesion where, you know, like for us it's not as obvious I don't think because we live pretty rurally and we live in a community that's not very diverse but particularly for places I'm just thinking about um, 
inner city stuff? Yeah, like Chicago or Atlanta or... Um, Seattle. Well, Seattle, yeah, frankly. Um, if we could do some kind of situation where they're... Even if it's like cleaning up the parks, like park service. Or... No, say it, say it. What are you thinking? Cleaning up the uh, homeless shelters. Yeah. Homeless areas. And And more reaching out. Like if we could have more social work type services, not necessarily social workers, because that takes more school. Um, you would have to have someone such as yourself to be like a team leader or a right, mentor. Right. And then have, you know, people building tiny houses or rehab facilities or whatever was needed to help heal the communities, not continue to contribute to just push them to another city because, you know, for example, and I don't know if you watched that um, Seattle is Dying yes. episode. Uh, I can see how people thought that was great. I think it shed some light on some things, but it certainly missed the mark on a lot of things. In particular, what came out later was one of the people that they showed had not been homeless for a year, um, was housed, had a job, like, and was completely misrepresented. It didn't talk to any of the services that actually do work with those people every day uh, and what things they're actually that they have tried and maybe why they didn't work. I mean, none of that was explored. It really needed to be a series, I feel like, instead of just one episode. Sure. It was a good starting place, but it needed so much more to me. And <clears throat> so things like that, how, how do we address those things, right? We can't just keep throwing money at it because that's obviously not working. Um, but one of the points that they made in the documentary, or whatever you want to call it, was that Bellevue doesn't have this problem. Well, Bellevue doesn't have this problem because they pushed all their people to Seattle. It's not that it wasn't there. It's that those people were displaced to all one place. So, you know, saying that it's all Seattle's fault is not really fair because other cities around it <laughs> have pushed their problem into Seattle, and that was their solution. Well, Seattle does nationally, is kind of known to be favorable. Sure. But, I mean, if I was homeless, wouldn't I be in California or somewhere that has better weather? I mean, Hell yeah. I wouldn't be in Hawaii. Seattle. I'd be in Hawaii. <laughs> Don't even need a house. Yeah. So, I mean, Seattle is not the best place, I don't think, to be homeless. But somehow they do come. And part of it's because they're more lenient. Um, due to a lot of factors, but and the weather isn't awful like it would be in the Northeast, for example. But you don't see a lot of homeless in Alaska. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if you do or not. That's yeah, a good question. I should cold. look that up. Kind of cold up there. Well, not in the southern parts. The southern parts are very much like Washington. No, I was just kind of being <laughs> smart ass. Well, I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? If you're talking about national service, how can we help those native communities, you know, up there that, especially the ones that are in those remote villages that only get supplies certain yeah. amounts of times a year? They are definitely not affluent. They are yeah. on the lower side of the scale. Yeah. So, you know, how can we heal, help heal our communities? We're con just continuing to be divided. We're continuing to be separated by class and poverty and all these other things, aside from race and gender and everything else, it's, it's a class division. Well, the, the service idea, I think, is good because 
it will give people opportunities. Yeah. And it is up to them to take them. Oh, yeah. But I think it will give more people opportunities to feel good about themselves, learn something. Exactly. And make their own way in the world and rather than leaning on everyone else. Right. And, and it would take away from, you know, people in general, the broad community, that especially middle class and upper class, um, look down on people that are in poverty and need government assistance. Well, maybe if when they graduated that they had a little bit of a hand in getting a trade or getting that self-esteem or getting themselves out of the hot, the hood or the poverty that they're in or whatever, That's their circumstance. The unions would come in. Yeah. The trade unions. You can actually be independent and give yourself an opportunity to, to make something of yourself. Whereas if you have to claw your way out, you might not be able to. I mean, factors as what they are. Not everybody is privileged enough or physically able to go in the military or, you know, whatever, to be able to get that extra opportunity. And I don't think every, you know, having, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I served in the military. I don't want people in the military with me that don't want to be there. I don't want that to be a draft. The military is not for everybody. It's definitely not. And I don't want to put my life in the hands of somebody that doesn't want to be there. But that doesn't mean that I don't think those same people could have opportunities that maybe it's not their favorite thing, but maybe it's a stepping stone to something better. Mm-hmm. So that is my kind of general thoughts on it. Hey, have you hired an electrician lately? They make pretty good money. <laughs> they make damn good money. Or a plumber. Yeah, and they trade you. I mean, they train you. Mm-hmm. And if that could be part, you know, if the journeyman thing, you know, some kind of pre-journeyman stage where... They have know, apprentice on all those unions. Yeah, yeah. Apprentice carpenters, electricians, plumbers. It's like, I think, four years. Yeah. And then you're a journeyman, and then you jump up in wages. And... Yeah, and electricians can make like six figures. Easy. Sure. After a short amount of time. Yeah. So, Yeah. I think if bigger companies could start looking at that kind of thing to help support, and then, you know, it could be, like I said, it could be a, maybe you get a certain amount of money or funding for a college program if you want to, or a certain amount of money to help with um, extending your trade school, or whatever. Or uh, you could have to sign on for a certain term Mm -hmm. of, not necessarily volunteering, but the stipend wouldn't be a huge wage, but right. after, say, six months, then you could move on to a better situation or something. Right, Or right. even a year. Yeah. And I'm not saying it has to be, you know, six years like I did in the military. You know, a year or two. Or maybe it can be varied, like anywhere from a year to five years, let's say, depending on what the job is. And if it's a bigger job, maybe... Like you were saying, if it's a unionized job and it's supplemented, then you don't get the stipend at the end. If it's a a lower skill job that you have, then maybe you get a little bit more stipend to go towards more trade school or more college or more whatever to get yourself set up. Maybe it's a stipend to get your own business started. Maybe you want to have a food truck, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So I think it's an amazing idea. I think... That could really help our communities, um, even if it was, even if it was a volunteer option. Like let's say you have all these things that are paid, and then you still have the volunteer option. Like you choose, I don't want to have a job, but I want to do, 
you know, eight hours of community service a week for a year or something like that. And or then not a stipend, but maybe they're giving you room and board. Right. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about anything. You just go do your thing. You learn a trade. And when you're done, you move into an apprentice at the union or something. And yeah. Get your own house and drive on from there. Yeah. I mean, I know some programs like this do exist, but they're few and far between. And sorry, the dog is chewing on his bone as he likes to do. As he is wont to do when I am podcasting. Because he's a jerk. He's bored. <laughs> I know he's bored. He's a good dog. So those are my thoughts on that. And, and it just really struck me that it's it's something that I've been wishing for that someone would talk about in the national stage for probably 20 years. I've been talking about this. Um, I know there's pushback. I just read an article that was talking about how it's a bad idea. Watch out for his ear. But when they say that, <clears throat> almost all of the arguments are for a mandatory national service. And that's not what's being proposed. What's being proposed is let's incentivize it so that people want to do it. And another one of the arguments was that they were targeting young people. And my argument, my retort back to that would be, first of all, to integrate any kind of change into society is going to take a long time. You're not going to get everyone to buy in immediately. And people that are in their 60s, for example, aren't going to want to go and do that now. You know, they're, they've already lived their life. They've already done their time. They've already, you know, worked their jobs or whatever. And it also depends on their situation. Yeah. And it could be open to that. Like, let's say someone is in their 60s and working at Walmart because whatever happened to their job and they don't have a pension. Right. Let's have opportunities for them if they want it, but don't make it mandatory. Well, it would, I'm not asking for it to be mandatory anyway, but don't make it like as incentivized. Make it more incentivized for the young people so that it starts to become part of the national culture because you're not going to change everything right away. Everything changes by generation. Each generation has a little bit more change, a little bit more change, a little bit more change, sometimes drastic change, <laughs> a little bit more change. I'm sure in the 1800s when slavery ended, it was a pretty big radical change. And there was still a lot of resistance to it. And, uh, you know, that change was for the good. It had to happen. So people are always going to be resistant to change. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Final thoughts on this? No, I like it. Sounds good. Um, I think it's a good idea. Not mandatory, but available. Available, encouraged, incentivized. Mm -hmm. um, and there could be a whole range of different types yeah yeah exactly i mean there's so many opportunities for people to help out in so many different ways let's say you give them a little bit of training in care aids because our baby boomer population is exploding and they're all retiring and who's going to take care of them probably not their selfish gen x kids <laughs> so you know, we need more care aides. There are programs, particularly in Washington State, if you're looking to be a nurse or a caregiver, there are programs that are paid for to do that, but a lot of people don't know about them. Uh, so care aides is, is one thing that we will always need. People are always going to get older. Our populations are only getting bigger. We don't have enough medical staff to care for them, and particularly um, the people that are actually going to be changing diapers and bedpans. 
So, even if it's, you know, if you could physically do that, that'd be great. If you can't physically do it, help out in some way that you can. And, you know, I would always encourage volunteering. You could even, you know, go volunteer at your local crisis line. Go volunteer at an animal shelter. Go volunteer at a freaking soup kitchen, you know, at the food bank. All of these things are, are helpful. And you don't have to have the physical strength that would take to do, like, Habitat for Humanity or Job Corps or the military. There's always something for someone. And, you know, obviously if you had a terminal illness or you, you know, have, I don't know, whatever kind of debilitating disease that a young person, younger person might have, there's still going to be something for you. Even if it's reading to children in the hospital. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just get out there and look and see what's out there. Yes. Thank you for talking to me today about this. Sharing your experience about the Job Corps. You're welcome. And your thoughts as a baby boomer. You are a baby boomer, right? I don't know. You're on the edge. 62. You're younger. <laughs> so. No more I, babies. <laughs> I appreciate your thoughts and uh, that's all I have to say about that. So think about that service. Make your time here count because someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>